how do I introduce this man, David Turner? I could say that he's the CEO of which oversees the sawmill in Kawarau. Or I could say that this guy hangs out with ministers, has lunch with prime minister, our prime minister. I could say that he's got this amazing family. His wife is such an awesome woman of God, and he's got three beautiful children, and uh, it's just wonderful to hang out with them as a family. Or I could say that he's a dear friend of mine who's journeyed with me for 12 years, and um, times when I was a little wobbly, he would stand, come, ac- come alongside me and hold me so that I do not fall. And so he's a dear friend. But I tell you, this is probably the best way to introduce David Turner. He loves the Lord so much, and that love overflows in his desire to love his neighbor as himself. And this man spends a lot of days considering how he can be more of a help to the neighborhood, not just in Kaurau where his company is, but also wherever he is and wherever people are. So I just want to welcome you, David, and I want you to share with us what God has been doing in your life. All right? Would we, can we put our hands together and welcome David Turner? So I'm going to um, talk about the characteristics of an overcomer, um, which is something that I've had to become quite adept at over the last few years. But um, I want to begin just by thinking first about the characteristics of God. And um, there's a scripture in Psalms 107, and the the whole scripture is about the character of God. And it talks about how God delivers people who are hungry and thirsty and he delivers people who are in bondage or in prison and he delivers people who have made wrong choices. And it concludes in Psalms 107.43 with this, whoever is wise will observe these things and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. And you know, you skim over these scriptures sometimes when you're reading, particularly when they're at the end of the chapter and um, this thing which says if you're wise you'll observe all of the ways that God has delivered and you will observe and understand the loving kindness of the Lord so the character of God is expressed so beautifully here and I asked Andrew who is um, the resident expert who I always reach out to when I need some um, some deeper understanding and I said Andrew you know, what does this word loving kindness mean in its original translation and he he said, look, it's this Hebrew word, he said, and it's translated as loving kindness in the King James Version, faithful love in the NLT Version, steadfast love in the ESV Version, and loving deeds in the NIV. And it comes from the root word hasid, which literally means to bow the neck. And so this is Andrew talking now, not me. He says, and so when it is used for God, it has this idea of God's actions that seem to be bowing his neck towards us in love, mercy, goodness, and favor. Loving kindness captures all of these expressions around God's nature. When we consider that, we consider the character of God, God is the deliverer. This is the character of God. And the part of the scripture that really resonated with me was in verse 23 where it says this. So Psalms 107.23 says, Those who go down to the sea in ships, 
who do business on great waters. They see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again into the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble, and they reel to and fro and stagger like drunken men. They are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still, and then they are glad because they are quiet, and he guides them to their desired haven. So for me, I work in business, and I love being in business. It's the thing I'm passionate about, and I really resonate with, with that story because he's talking about business people, and the, and the amount of storms that you have to face in business is quite remarkable. And for me, in the last two years, it's been particularly bad. And it started um, in October 2018, I think, when a friend of mine rang me and said, Dave, I was praying for you this morning, and God said you've got some difficult times coming up. And I sort of dismissed it because I already had some difficult times and I couldn't figure it would be any more difficult than what I'd already faced. And a few weeks later, we had our first site fatality. So I'm sure some of you are aware that when someone dies on your workplace, it's a, it's a major issue. Um, and so it started there. And then the US-China trade war broke out. So I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that destroyed our market. So 5,000 factories that we supplied died. Then they stopped opening. And a whole lot of things conspired against us, so we lost all of our orders. And then three to four months later, my bank, who was always a massive advocate, only in August 2018 they, they filed our business. And me personally in the Air New Zealand magazine talking about how great our partnership was. But for some reason they decided they wanted all their money back. <laughs> and I didn't know, so I had diminishing orders, I had the bank wanted the money back, I had a site vitality, so everything was going wrong, and so the bank just, I obviously couldn't pay all the bank all their money back, so I simply said, well, we'll have to increase our amort, so we paid them a little bit more each month, a little bit more each month, and they kept on raising the bar, and every time they raised the bar, we earned a little bit more. They raised the bar, and it, was, it got to a basis of every two weeks, we were fighting to see if we'd make it, and we'd make it. We'd make it over the line. And in the end, I was thinking, wow, this is, they should keep raising the bar because the Lord keeps on providing for me. But then, in March 26, we decided to close the country because of COVID. So, and my business wasn't an essential service. So we had to close our business down. And so I had this issue where my business is now closed, still having to pay the bank back a whole lot of money and they weren't going to change their position. I had to create all these new markets because of all the issues that were going on globally. And then, in the evening of that night, I had a stroke. So when you're 44 and you're having a stroke, it's, um, and you've got all these problems, you're lying in your hospital bed, and I was sitting there thinking, you know, Lord, you're meant to be a deliverer. It doesn't, if this is what deliverance feels like, <laughs> I'd hate to be the other guy. So um, and the Lord spoke to me. He said, look, I am a deliverer, but I need you to be an overcomer. See, the character of God is that he's a deliverer, but the character of his people is that they're overcomers. And the greatest expression of this I see is, is Paul. So 
So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 14, 19 to 22, and it tells this amazing story of Paul, this incredible overcomer, and it says, The Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. Having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul. So here's Paul. He's passionate about ministry. He's gone to this town, and they've stoned him. Supposing that he's dead, they dragged him to the outside of the city. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city again, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. One of the great false teachings that you hear is that, you know, in Christianity, everything comes really good. Actually, the testimony of a Christian is not a life free of adversity. It's a life of overcoming adversity. And there's a difference. And that's my testimony and that's the testimony of Paul. Paul's life was not about free freedom from adversity, but no matter what he faced, he got up and got on with his purpose. So we listen to him again in 2 Corinthians he's 4, 7-10. to 10. He says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God, not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're never destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in us. So the character of God is that he is a deliverer. The character of his people is that we're overcomers. And I was lying in my bed, challenged by this concept. And the Lord dropped all these cool things into me and all of these promises and one of the things that I reflected on was he just dropped in the life of Gideon. So I just want to pull on the life of Gideon and the criteria that he set for Gideon's army and some of the things that we saw in Gideon's own life to draw some characteristics that we see of an overcomer. So I know we all know the, the story of Gideon and his army, how that the Israelites were oppressed. The Bible says that they were living in dens and caves, robbed of food and greatly impoverished. And then Gideon was called to develop, take this army to overcome and fight the Midianites. So if we just turn to Judges 7, we can flick through. Andrew's reminded me that no one reads reads the King James Version anymore, these other versions. So the reason I use that Bible is because it's my mother's, right? So the one thing she's, the most important thing that she left for me. So I struggle through it sometimes, but here we go. Then Jerubbabel, who was Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early, pitched beside the well of Harad, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them, by the hill of Morah. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, My own hand hath saved me. Now therefore go to and proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people 22,000, and there remained 10,000. 
So the first criteria to split those who, who are going to overcome versus the others was this idea of fear. And this was the, actually, this was the thing that drove me first to uh, the story of, of Gideon when I was in hospital. Because when I was in hospital, I was quite... After you know, I got my head around the initial diagnosis that at 44 I've had a stroke, I was actually quite good. I had all these this great thing going on with God. I had all Andrew's podcasts, which I'd listened to, and I was quite at peace. But then after about three or four days, fear walked into the room. And his name was the neurologist. Because <laughs> the neurologist just wasn't convinced it was a stroke. He thought it was some sort of degenerative disorder. And so you imagine sitting there facing these two. They had the stroke expert and the neurologist argument in front of my chair, in front of my bed. You have to remind them sometimes they're actually in the room as they're talking about you. But that sense of fear really struck me and drove me to the story of Gideon and, and why this criteria, why this split occurred in Gideon's army. And what strikes, me, what strikes me about this is that the emotion of fear is not the problem. The issue is the acting on fear. So when we look at Gideon himself, we can see that if we move on to Judges 7, 9 and 10, you see that Gideon himself was still experienced the emotion of fear. It says here, And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered into your hands. But if thou fear to go down, go thou with Farah, thy servant, down to the host, and thou shalt hear what they have to say. So he still felt fear. He still felt the emotion of fear. But he didn't operate in fear. And that's the difference. There's a difference between the emotion of fear and walking in fear. So Jesus himself felt fear. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, they talk about Jesus sweating blood. And that process of sweating blood is a disorder called hematridosis. Hematidrosis. Difficult to say. And in the 76 cases of this illness that have been studied, the most common cause is acute fear. So the emotion of fear is a very natural human emotion. What differentiates an overcomer from those who don't overcome is not whether you have the emotion of fear or not. It's whether you walk in that fear. It's that choice. So the first characteristic of an overcomer is they don't operate in fear. They don't walk in fear. The second characteristic of, of an overcomer is, to me, is they're focused. And Jesus and the, and the writer speaks to this in Judges 7, 5, and 6. So we look at the second reason, the second criteria for excluding the army. So 7, 5, and 6. So he brought down the people unto the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone that lappeth the water with his tongue, as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knee to the drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hands to their mouth, were 300 men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men that lapped will I save you and deliver the Midianites. And all, let all the other people go. So the ones who, for me, the ones who sat ready, focused, 
were the key guys that God knew was going to help them overcome. And focus is such a key driver for our ability to overcome whatever issues that we have in our life and our ability to overcome more broadly just the world. So if we believe in these two kingdoms, kingdom of God, kingdom of this world, the ability for us to be constantly living in the kingdom of God requires constant focus. So we can listen to Paul again. He says in 1 Corinthians 9.24, and I just think we need to get just a glimpse of this guy's focus. He says, Do you not know that those who run a race in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others I myself should become disqualified. Here is a guy that he's, he's equating his life journey to a trainer, a runner. He gets up every day. Now he's not talking about winners and losers in the sense of there's only one person who's going to win the prize. What he's talking about is the mindset, a mindset of someone who gets up and like a runner, you're training and you're completely and utterly focused on the job that's ahead of you, whether that's a, whether that's a promise that you're, you're tracing towards or whether it's this broader concept of the kingdom of God and being focused on it every day. Now, I had a strategy offsite with my leadership team last week and we had a guest speaker. He was an amazing guy and he's the, he's the mental skills coach for the Chiefs. And he said to us this, he said, performance is about capability minus distraction. So outcomes, how you perform, is a function of your capability less all the things that distract you. The distractions... So for me personally, that was the biggest issue. So when I was lying in this hospital bed, my issue around focus was actually I was just doing too much. I was doing too many things. All of them were okay. Everyone wants you to be on their board and everyone wants you to be chair of this and give a speech here, but none of them were actually about my individual purpose. So eradicating distractions from our life is such an important part of us being able to be an overcomer. So the second characteristic, I think, of an overcomer is that we're focused. And the third characteristic of an overcomer is that they're transformed. So if we read in Judges 7.7, The Lord said unto Gideon, By the 300 men that lapped, I will save you. So if you or I was leading an army against another army, and you had a choice between 32,000 men or 300. I personally would take the 32,000. <laughs> Even if I got them just to stand over there, well, I took 300 around uh, another way. But it's really important to understand that the transformation, the kingdom of God is completely different to the kingdom of man. And I said earlier that there's two transformations, but I think there's three transformations. One of them we've already touched on. The first transformation is how we see God. So we've touched on that with Psalms 107. God is a deliverer. God loves us. God cares about us. and we want, No matter what we've done, he is going to be there for us. But the other area of transformation is that we need to transform our thinking as to what's possible and how we're going to get there. One of my favorite scriptures is Mark 4.26. 
where he says, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter the seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow, yet he himself does not know how. So one of the greatest things about humanity is that we want to rationalise everything. We need to know why. But actually, the kingdom of God is supernatural. It's different. And it's not always rational to our minds. The only way, that, or the best biblical example of this I see is in the story of Elijah and his servant. In 2 Kings 6, 14 through to 17, he says, Therefore, you, you know the story, so Elijah is surrounded. He, the king of Syria, is, is, he, he's heard that there's this guy, Elijah, who's telling the secrets of what he's planning to the Israelites, and so he's coming to kill him. So he sends his entire army out to get him. So he says, Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God rose early and went out, there was an army there surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray you open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened his eyes and the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. You can see here the difference between the kingdom of man, which sees what's before you, and the kingdom of God, which is supernatural. And the process of opening your eyes is the fundamental transformation that we need to all take to transition through to the kingdom of man, to the kingdom of God, for us to be overcomers. So one of the stories as I was lying in hospital was that God downloaded all this really cool stuff to me. And pretty much all of it, I can say now, has come true. But one of them was, um, how we're going to use this for good. Don't worry, we're going to use it for good. Don't forget your insurance policy. And I was like, my insurance policy? And I remember, oh yeah, I've got this really cracking insurance policy. And so I should get my wife to get onto that. So I was, I was really eager for her to get onto it, not because I wanted to see what the insurance policy was. I wanted to know whether I was hearing imaginary friends in my head or whether it was God. You know, so it was an important thing for me to know. So I rang my wife and said, you know, Vic, you need to check my insurance policy. She goes, oh yeah, just get well, don't worry. You know, This is a day after the, um, the stroke. And I was like, well... Saturday. Have you checked the insurance policy? No, I haven't. I'll do it on Monday. Monday comes around. She says, I said, have you checked the insurance policy? Don't worry about it. We'll do it when you get home. And I said, no, I need you to do it today. You have to do it today. So anyway, I call her later on that night. She goes, yes, I've done it. And that's all she told me. But as it transpires, what actually happened was at 4 o'clock that day, she rang our insurance broker and the insurance broker said, sorry, Vicky, Dave's insurance expired a month ago. But there is this rule that you've got one month where you can decide that you don't want to let your insurance expire. He checks the date. The date was exactly one month prior, and we were within one hour of it expiring. 
So he goes, if you can pay me the money today, then we'll try and get this thing renewed. As it transpired, he got it renewed. There's a great example of the kingdom of God. We could never plan that. We could ne- you could never be told that. But God's ways are completely different. It's not how we're going to do it. And it's always bigger and better than what you think. The second area of transformation that I think is critical is this idea of how we see ourselves. So one of the biggest issues for people is their own sense of self-worth and understanding that we're actually worthy of the promises. We're actually worthy of everything that God does for us. Not because of anything we do, but because of what Christ did. And the challenge of that sense of worthiness is such a prolific issue for the church. It's such an easy thing for the devil to get to is you understanding your sense of worthiness. And it's true, if we look at Jesus' own life, he was, his life, was, his ministry was bookended by this challenge as to who he was. So if you look in Matthew 4.1, you see Jesus has just been baptized and he goes into the desert. And so, just picking up on that story, he says, so Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, what's the first thing he says? He says, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become bread. It's a challenge as to who he is. On the cross, just before he's about to die, Matthew 27, listen to these words. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. His life was bookended by this challenge. If you're the son of God. So Gideon himself, if we look at Gideon's life and the transformation in terms of his own sense of worthiness, if we look at Judges 6, you can see how this transformation is taking place in people's life, that confidence in knowing who we are. So Judges 6.12 And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valour. So there instantly we can see how God sees him. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all the miracles which our fathers told us of? Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor, and I am the least in my father's house. So his perspective of himself was that his family was lowly, and he was the lowliest of them all. But now let's compare that to him later in life. We will look at Judges 8, 4 to 9. He's gone through, he's beaten the Midianites and now he's chasing the Midianite kings. And he says, he came to Jordan and passed over and the 300 men were with him, faint yet pursuing them. And he said to the man of Sukkoth, give, I pray, loaves of bread unto the people that follow me, for they be faint. And I'm pursuing after Zeba and Zalmanah, 
kings of Midian. And the princes of Sukkoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmanah now in thy hands, that we should give bread unto thee and thy army? And Gideon said, Therefore, when the Lord hath delivered Zeba and Zalmanah unto my hands, then I will tear out your flesh with thorns, the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. So I'm not focused on the tearing out the flesh. I'm focusing on the confidence that he has as he's gone through this transformation as to who he is. He started here believing he was worthless and he's ended here knowing with complete confidence that God is with him. So Romans 12.12 says, don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is the concept. The transformation required is who God is, who we are and what's possible. The final point is to be an overcomer is expressed in Judges 8, 22 to 23. You listen to this guy. He's just achieved all of this. And listen to what he says. Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son, and your son's son. For thou hast delivered us from the hand of the Midianites. And Gideon said unto them, I'll not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. So despite everything that he had done, he was in complete surrender, complete knowledge of where the victory actually truly lies. And so for us to actually overcome, we've talked about three things so far. Firstly, is you've got to be fearless. Secondly, you've got to be focused. Thirdly, you've got to be transformed. And then finally, you've got to be surrendered. You've got to realize that it's not in your own strength. And you've got to surrender the dream. And that's the hardest thing. So for me personally, I'm a, I was challenged by this woman who um, is a really great woman and she was inputting into my life while I was in hospital and she encouraged me to listen to one of her sermons. And her whole sermon was about how illness and, and, and your mentality are connected and how you know, sometimes mindsets actually result in the illness. So you get, if you want to get healed of stuff, you actually got to talk to the mindset. And I thought it was a really nice sermon, but it probably didn't apply to me. So I went to uh, sleep that night quite comfortable, and then I woke up just with this resounding striver, striver, yelling at me. And so my whole mindset is that you've got to strive. You've got to work hard. The harder you work, the better the outcome. It must be. In reality, that sense of striving was, is connected to the physical issues that I was having. And so understanding this concept of being able to have a promise, hold a promise, pursue a promise, but at the same time surrender and rest is a real challenge. And the amazing thing for me in my business is that I strived for eight years towards the target. So my goal was to be a $100 million business. That's been my goal since I started it. And um, I got it, in eight years, I got it from 30 to $60 million. And it was just hard work. And then I had a stroke. I'm pretty much out of action. We've got COVID. It's impossible. You can't even, all of my ships next month have been cancelled. I can't even export product Yet somehow, with all that chaos, and with me 
removed from the business, my company's grown from 60 million to 120 million in two years. The kingdom of God is effortless and exponential. So just to close, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This idea of surrender is about us as living sacrifices. It's about us, and every individual will have their own individual thing that they've got to sacrifice. But until we do that, we'll never overcome whatever giant that we see in front of us. So, In summary, the testimony of our lives is not a life free of adversity. Our testimony is a life of overcoming adversity. That's what it means to be a Christian. And our God, he's a deliverer. And I can guarantee you my testimony is that he does deliver us. But we have to be overcomers. We have to be we have to have the faith, the courage, the strength to be able to stand up and overcome whatever is in front of us. And I think that there are four characteristics that not conclusive but define an overcomer. First of all, we're fearless, we're focused, we're transformed, 